This is Bucket Talk, a weekly podcast for people who work in the trades and construction that aren't just trying to survive, but have the ambition and desire to thrive. The opportunity in the trades and construction is absolutely ridiculous right now. So if you're hungry, it's time to eat. We discuss what it takes to rise from the bottom to the top with people who are well on their way and roll up their sleeves every single day. This is Jeremy and Eric here with Bucket Talk, powered by Brunt. On this episode, we have Jeff Britton. Jeff Britton goes by the handle Art of the Wanderer. But before we jump in, Eric, what's been going on? All right. As you guys know, we like to have a lot of fun on here and usually uh, tell some crazy stories. This week, uh, we're going to kick off the intro a little bit different. Something really unusual and really shocking kind of happened uh, in both Jeremy and my day jobs, which is, uh, as you all know, is Brunt. You know, we had uh, someone that Jeremy had met, became part of the Brunt community, Brunt family, whatever you call it, that was loving our product, went out in the world, spent some time showcasing their work, editing it up, super proud to share with the world. And like anything, you have people that come in from all woodworks and try to put people down. And and someone came in our community and did that. And we handle those things and deal with those things accordingly. But the most shocking and kind of disturbing behavior was a CEO of another workwear company actually came out of the woodwork and actually tried to endorse and support that person's behavior of literally online bullying or whatever you may call it in, in this modern day age of trying to put someone else down to make themselves feel big. And as you guys know from this podcast and from what we do in our day-to-day jobs, our goal is to try to get as many folks jacked up about getting into the trades and really starting to get folks that are going to be the people that end up building our future and supporting our future. And so to see not only someone come in like that was disappointing, but then to see a CEO of another workwear brand come in and support it is is one, it's baffling. It's almost somewhat laughable because it's a essentially a nail in the coffin if we were to ever call them out for what they did, but we ride a little higher than most. And uh, so we'll leave it at that. But Jeremy, I know it was a guy that you, you had kind of found from just liking his content in general. And and that's kind of how it started. Is that right? Yeah. And to piggyback on it, I mean, this is one of the reasons why we started bucket talk was to empower the trades and, you know, we're all brothers and sisters out there. We're arm in arm and we need to we need our our brother and sister to help us get through the day and, and back us up on a daily basis. And that's what we're trying to do here is back you guys up. And, and in turn, the community has backed us. And, you know, we've had a lot of people uh, reach out publicly and privately saying, you know, pretty much saying their stories that they've encountered in, the, in different situations. And, um, you know, we definitely want to keep everything in a positive light, empower, help and uh, educate about the trades, not bring each other down. We're all trying to showcase our stuff to raise awareness and to see somebody within the community bring somebody down like that, like you said, is is, is really quite appalling. That's kind of where we put our foot down and, and uh, Brunt is a family. Yep. We see it out there. We have a lot of fun. We razz on each other, but when it turns into putting other people down and and genuinely bullying and, and those things, that's where we draw the line and we have to speak up and we have to prevent it from happening again. And just know if you're part of the bucket talk community, the Brunt community, whatever it may be is uh, we're not going to let that happen on our watch and we've got your back. So we appreciate your support and, and we'll keep our eyes out there for that and do our best. But anyways, back on to the reason for our show today. Thanks to our incredible friend, Jeff Britton, who you're going to get to hear his amazing story very shortly. We are giving every one of 
the listeners today $10 off their first order on Brunt for $60 or more with code ART10, A-R-T-10. After you listen to the episode, you'll know why ART10 is the code. Thanks so much. Let's dig in. All right. We're here today with Jeff Britton. Jeff Britton goes by the handle Art for the Wanderer. Jeff, welcome. Hey, what's up, guys? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Likewise. So I started following you early on. I'm super captivated by your story and uh, definitely resonates with me. You being a fellow service member and, you know, I definitely followed you during the time when you were transitioning out. But so I don't spoil it for the rest of the people, I'd like for you to kind of bring us through some of the stuff that you've shared on social media and your journey. Super interesting. But let's get some background, like go back as far as, you know, high school and even before that, like grow up and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. So uh, what's up, guys? So my name is Jeff James Britton. I'm originally from a small town, Nebraska, born and raised uh, about 6,500 people now. I joined or I enlisted, signed the dotted line in 2013 and then shipped out for the Marine Corps in 2014. That was really always the goal. I remember it in eighth grade, it just kind of hit me like a truck. I'm like, you know, uh, that's what we're doing. There's no, <laughs> I wasn't a big fan of school or anything like that. And I was like, that's the plan. I just kind of stuck with it. Um, I didn't enlist open contract, but I didn't know anything like uh, about the Marine Corps, to be honest. They were just like, here's a giant binder you know, pick three MOSs. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. You know, uh, this one, this one, this one. What is an MOS? An MOS is, it stands for military occupational specialty. So everyone in the military, regardless of branch has a military occupational specialty and different branches have like different codes or whatever. So in the Marine Corps, it's a four digit code, whereas other branches, it might be a letter and a number or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. And so what did you end up settling on? Uh, so I was, uh, voluntold, if you will, to be <laughs> a, uh, a heavy equipment mechanic. Nice. So, you know, nice. backhoes, bulldozers, things of that nature, which was something I was interested in high school, but I didn't even, I had a hard time like wrapping around. I didn't know that was a thing in the Marine Corps. I was like, wait, I didn't, why do we have tractors in the Marine Corps? What are we doing? I don't understand. <laughs> um, and so, uh, went to that MOS school. But then right off the bat, got sent to a unit where wasn't going to be doing that job at all. And I ended up going to a small craft uh, mechanics course, which is just for uh, outboard boat engines, which is what I did for the majority of my career. Were you guys running like Johnson's, Mercury's? Uh, what, what? Uh, yeah, uh, 55 uh, horsepower Evan Roots. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. yeah. Evan Roots, you. Oh, you, no you. shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, it's a love-hate relationship with them. They actually, right before I was getting out, I think they stopped making outboard engines. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, it was something crazy like that. But when they're on top of their game, they're great. When they're not, <laughs> it's, it's a beast. Yeah, we did we did a shift in my service from uh, outboards to inboards with an outdrive. So we ended up shifting to Yanmar diesels. They were definitely a lot more reliable. The only issue was the best thing about outboards was we always ran two. So if you had catastrophic failure on one, you always were able to get back. So um, yeah, that would have been nice. I wish they would do that. No, we are on the, uh, the rubber reconnaissance craft. So the inflatable rubber boats yep. with the one outboard. So you poke a hole or your engine goes down, you're, <laughs> you're treading water. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So you enjoyed it and you were looking to re-enlist or no? 
Yeah. So no, I, I loved my job. I had a great time. Uh, had a lot of opportunity. I was very fortunate to get, went to airborne school. Uh, so I reenlisted in 2017, uh, for another four years. And then I was kind of at that tipping point where it's like, you know, I don't really know what else I want to do outside of this yet. I do enjoy it, but let's do another four and we'll, we'll figure it out. You know, thinking four years is a long time when it's really not. So yeah, I did that. And then ended up getting orders from Camp Lejeune, North Carolina to Camp Pendleton, California. But then I was only there in Camp Pendleton for about a year. And then I finished out my career as a uh, boathouse instructor in Coronado. Nice. Interesting stuff. So take us through the transition process. What were you looking to do outside? How'd you get set up? Um, You know, what was the next steps for Jeff? A plan is a funny word and it's one I should have used better. (laughs) Um, No. So just to take it back a little bit with the whole social media thing, I started social media, like actively trying to pursue it in 2016. I think it was you know, because when I joined the Marine Corps, it was everyone had social media, but you didn't really use it. It wasn't something you were scrolling on all the time. But I was kind of like, I feel like this is going to become like a bigger part of everyone's lives. Right. And so I didn't want to, you know, I kind of missed like the Vine wave, if you will. I never even had Vine, but I was like, I don't want to miss the next one. Right. And so I uh, decided to start my own page uh, just to kind of like promote myself, like as a side hustle while I was in to make some extra cash because you know, when you're a Lance corporal, you're living paycheck to paycheck, no matter how hard you try. And, uh, I originally, the page was actually called bottles by Britain. Uh, cause I would take all the empty liquor bottles from the Marines and sailors in the barracks. Cause I was like, we have an unlimited supply of canvases. Here. <laughs> <laughs> and so they'd all bring them to me and I'd paint on them, give them back to them, sell them on Instagram and stuff like that. But it kind of hit a point where I was like, this name is so limiting. Like painting liquor bottles wasn't even like the type of artwork I had done my whole life. It just seemed like a, a catchy thing at the time. So I was like, I need something very like broad and vague um, art for the wanderer. That's, you know, that seems like something that can evolve and change a thousand times. So that's ended up being the name and kind of what I had stuck with. And so I, it was always something I kind of worked on on the side and just tried to grow. And, you know, TikTok hadn't been around yet. So I was like, in the event that I do get out, maybe this could be something maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure, but it's fun regardless. It was not a easy decision trying to figure out whether or not to like stay in or get out. I talked about it in I think probably a hundred videos people were like, dude, just make a decision. But it was, (laughs) it was stressful. And I think I kind of used TikTok and YouTube at the time to kind of try and process it. And, you know, you kind of want to get people's opinions but at the same time, you can only get so many opinions on something before you're just like, we just need to pick one and run with it. And so, you know, ultimately, after uh, really thinking on it, I decided to get out of the Marine Corps and there really wasn't a plan. I knew I wanted to do something or I thought I wanted to do some kind of like freelance or in a uh, documentary photography sense. But I didn't know quite what it was. And there wasn't like a clear roadmap on how to achieve that. So I was just kind of like, well, you know. We got the van because so I was doing van life, did that for a few years. I was like, I got the van paid off. So I own my house. I own my car. How about it? Tell us about the van life. Cause that's a hot topic these days. <laughs> yeah. That one got pretty popular. I started van life in 2018, I believe just originally kind of part-time just cause uh, me and the buddies on Friday night at two in the morning in the barracks, we'd be like, dude, I'm bored. And it'd be like, me too. And then we'd be like, you want to go to Zion, which was, 
eight hours away, but you know, we had so much energy and so much caffeine in us. It didn't really matter. And so we just take off in the van and do whatever. And I think that we originally did that out of my Chevy cruise. And so I was like, let's just get a van. We do this all the time. When I ended up moving to Coronado, I was like, I can just do this full time, save my money. And I kind of started making videos about that because I knew with like the, the content I was creating, a lot of it was military based. And I was like, well, you know, if you get out, you can't really talk about the military. I mean, you can, but you know, you don't want your whole thing to be military related. So for a bit there, it kind of turned into van life. And I, I did that from, you know, 2018 or so to, uh, 2021. I was, yeah, it was right after I got out and, uh, <laughs> I bought a new van, built it all out. I was like, we're ready to go. It's bigger. Let's hit the road. I took it to the mechanic. I was like, Hey, here's how much I'll give you. Here's like three grand, make it bulletproof. You know, it was the inline five cylinder diesel only had like 160,000 miles on it. I was like, this thing's going to last a long time. Knock on wood. <laughs> and so I was like, just make it bulletproof. And about six hours into my first road trip, it threw a rod, lost all compression no. was totaled. Nobody in like the entire United States wanted to touch this thing. <laughs> so I was like, well, I think van life's done there, but that was, uh, <laughs> because that was, I think my third van at that point, you know, and I had gotten out and I had a pretty decent savings. I was like, well, if this is going to be your, you know, your home for the foreseeable future, yep. let's, let's put a good chunk of change into it. Let's make it awesome. I think that lasted two months <laughs> before <laughs> that thing went south. Uh, that's awesome. No, those, <laughs> those are important parts of your life. Oh, no kidding. I mean, it was, it was quite the shock getting out of like, Cause I was like, that's the plan. You know, this way, you know, van life forever. I got out of the Marine Corps. That's like the first thing that happened to me within, you know, like I said, a couple months. And so that was like, my house was gone. My car was gone. I was like, Oh, this transition is going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> you know what? Life throws you curveballs, and then you got to pivot. So, you know, what, what came after van life? How did, how did you pivot from there? Uh, so Went back to Nebraska initially. I mean, the road trip was to kind of make my way back home, but not forever. I was going to go back to California, but I went back home and, you know, I was like, oh yeah, things are a little bit cheaper than they are in California. I can actually buy a truck out here. And so I, I bought a pickup out there. And for some reason I have this obsession. I like, I feel the need. I always have to be able to live out of the vehicle I'm driving. Don't know what that's all about, <laughs> but I built this giant, like wooden cabin in the bed of the truck. I'd seen a couple on YouTube and I am not like a builder or anything. I'm your, you know, YouTube it, watch three quarters of the video. I got this. I own a couple tools. We'll figure it out kind of type. And so that's what I did. And I built a, a wooden cabin out of the back of the truck. And we did that for a while. And then ultimately kind of found a myself where I had some family, uh, where I ended up attending a farrier school. What inspired that? Like, what was the the spark there. I, <laughs> I have uh, before farrier school, I had no equine experience like whatsoever. Never really been around it. Um, never. I think I've ridden a horse three times in my life. So <laughs> like zero experience, but you know, just with the whole, the van thing, you know, a couple other situations I had gone through, uh, had like a little bit of like a health scare. I was like, Oh my goodness, we need, we need some stability in our lives. This freelance thing isn't as cool as I thought it'd be. I had a family member reach out to me. Uh, and he was like, uh, Hey, you know, 
I was Googling for you. I know you're kind of in a tough spot, but uh, I found there's a, there's a farrier school. You can learn how to shoe horses and it's covered by the GI bill. And I was like, well, you know, that sounds, sounds like a decent paycheck and something cool. He's like, yeah, you work with horses, minimal human interaction. You kind of just work by yourself. I'm like, that sounds pretty cool. I can do that. That's crazy. I kind of went through the same journey there. Um, never dealt with equine in my life. And now I find <laughs> myself surrounded by it, but you're right. I mean, it's cool. It's, it's 100% rewarding. Um, I like working yeah. with animals. I don't know how to shoe a horse. I've seen it done a million times. I figured mm-hmm. with a little practice, I might be able to do it, but there's a lot. Oh, yeah. um, oh there is. And, and how long was the school? Uh, the school is about eight weeks long. It was a, it's a pretty solid crash course. And unfortunately I, and this is what I was told by uh, Bob Smith, the founder of the school. I was the last student to be able to go through the course on the GI bill. I don't know about other schools, but that one in particular in California no longer accepted it, but it was, yeah, eight week kind of crash course. And I really appreciate the way they taught it. It was kind of a crawl sprint sort of teaching method where it's like, I'll show you once and then you're just doing it. You're, is this something you work under somebody or is this a, you have to go into business for yourself? So in like other countries in the UK, especially it's like, it's a pretty clear, concise, you have to do this and that and get these certs and do this school before you can do all that. In the U S it's actually not even required that you have to go to school. Definitely recommend going to school. Kind of like you said, you've watched it hundreds of thousands of times, but there's still something to, I mean, but some guys just kind of hop under there and start, but I would definitely recommend going to school. And then I would say like the next uh, step would be like an apprenticeship. And so that's kind of what I've been doing recently is kind of reaching out and getting my name out there. And you do some ride alongs for a couple of years until you get more reps and more confidence under your belt. Yeah. But I mean, coming out of the school, you, you know, quite a bit, you could go out there on your own and just start shoeing. And I think there's a little bit of a misconception. It's not like throwing a shoe on a horse and, and now it's got a set of sneakers. My horses have healthy hoofs and, and do mm-hmm. very little cement or or rough terrain so my horses aren't shod and yet they still see a farrier they still maintain the hoof help mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of people don't realize like you you border on you know vet care there's infections um we had one that stepped on a nail and there's a major vein that goes through there and essentially yeah. the horse could have bled out they don't have the circulatory system that humans do so mm-hmm. down in the hoof area infections could actually kill a horse so there's a lot more to it than just really, you know, trimming or or putting a uh, putting a shoe on a horse. But Look at you flexing over there, dude. dude. I, I flex shoot. all day. You're go. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got to pick up something yeah. on this farm, right? <laughs> but being the wanderer that you are, you're you're looking elsewhere to set up shop, correct? Oh yeah. And so uh, my girlfriend, she had gotten accepted into her PhD program at OSU. So we ultimately knew like, Hey, this was just kind of a, a temporary spot. And then we'd be moving to uh, Oregon for her school. And then there, there's horses everywhere. So that's, that's the beauty of freelance and farrier work. There's, there's always work. So you got a lot of things going on right now. You got, yes. you got the, the art business, you have the farrier business, uh, setting up a new location. Um, what's your biggest challenge you're currently facing right now? Oh man. Um, I would say, you know, kind of back on the transition thing, so many people will kind of talk about it and be like, no, just stay in. You don't understand like transitioning out of the military or not even just the military. I think anything you do that's like rigorous and structured and then leaving that 
is this this mental game that I don't think you can really prep for because the fair work, it's like, it's starting to come in, but for the most part, it's been photography and artwork, which was the dream. Right. And I'm loving it, but it's a, it's a unique transition. You're kind of, you're a bit more stagnant and there's a lot of different nuances switching lifestyles like that. So that's why I'm like, you know, I can tell when I'm getting a little, you know, anxious or, irritable it's because i've been i've been drawing too much you know what i mean and so i'm like i need to go out and break a sweat and keep moving and so i would say there's just a lot of different things mentally coming out of the military that you kind of have to adapt to and uh deconstruct a lot of things that like you think are normal in the military and they are in the military but you get out and people look at you like what you do what all the time or whatever or you know bad habits and so it's an interesting transition to uh healthier habits and kind of I had to like change my metric for what uh, a hard day's work looks like you know in the military you could have slow days but you can also have you know balls of the wall days and that's just what it is but then outside of that it's not that chaotic or hectic and it's kind of like an idle mind thing so I think that's been like a very unique challenge of kind of slowing down and being okay with that well what a lot of non-service members don't realize is there's when you join the military, it's like adult light. You have this freedom, you have responsibility. You're never really like unleashed onto the world. There's always that safety, whether it's medical, whether it's food, whether it's housing, there's always a fallback, like a contingency plan. I know when I was at my first duty station, it was hysterical. I spent my first paycheck on one bar bill in like yeah. in, in the first day. And then you get paid. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But, <laughs> but, but you get paid every two weeks and you're like, yeah, Shit, how am I going to eat? Well, you go back to the boat now eating at the chow hall every day right. for the next two weeks. So you always had a fallback, but then it's like, they really don't prepare you and they're getting better at it. But I, I know when I transitioned out, it was like, all right, real world. Here you go. <laughs> right. Good luck. Out. Yeah. And they, cause I mean, I heard something that was pretty good. It's like, it takes three months to make you that service member, but they give you about four and a half days to, turn that off. You know, here's TRS or whatever the steps and taps or whatever it's called. You know, here's how you be a civilian. Here's how you write a resume. Good luck. And you're like, what (laughs) What just happened? And that's the funny part about like the whole resume aspect. Like here you are, you're like, Oh, I did this, this, and this. And you go and bring that resume somewhere. And they're like, what does this mean? Right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't care that you're a coxswain that can jump out of planes. That's this is home Depot. (laughs) <laughs> the best is they're like, what's a coxswain? Like without, <laughs> right? <laughs> you're like, now you're here trying to explain and, and you're dealing with million dollars of equipment, you know, million yeah. dollars of assets. Since you're 18. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it's awesome. But like, you can't put it out there for somebody and, and they almost don't believe you. Um, so right. it, it is interesting to try yeah. to position out of the military and find your spot in normal day-to-day world. But it seems like you've, gone through it and and you've weathered the storm and it looks like you're on the up and up sounds like uh i got my hands busy with this thing called brump but sounds like there's an opportunity there for like either a government funded like program or a chair whether it's charity or or for-profit business that helps transition right out of the middle you know you had a bunch of people oh absolutely i have i have so many theories on that just because I mean, I 100% underestimated the transition. Everyone, especially like putting it on the internet, you get yep. so many guys in the comments and they're just like, don't do it, dude. Don't do it. And I'm like, I'm going to be fine. 
I'm like, oh, that's arrogant. <laughs> it's like, no, this, this is hard. And it, so I, I do think that there should be, I was talking about it because I have plenty of time to think about weird things. And uh, <laughs> I was like, they should have like a, um, a prior service union. Basically, like you did four, eight years, 12 years, whatever, because they have all these civilian contractors. Some are prior military, some are not. But you're taking all these guys that you put millions of dollars worth of training into that know how to run that location. Why don't you keep them on board as a civilian, loosen up their hours a little bit, but it's still like a seven to five kind of job. But they're still working with the same people they're working with. They can kind of pass the torch a little bit better and do a better turnover. And they do that for a year or so. And then that's kind of like the transition to a more civilian job. And then they can move on from there. No, I mean, that's a great idea. I even went as far as like helping somebody understand their benefits. Like I know it took me years to figure out how to properly use my GI Bill benefits, how to properly Mm -hmm. uh, get VA coverage, how to use like USAA and like home loans and and your first time home buying, right? Because we're in in barracks or government housing. I think on my boat, there were a select few people and they were a lot older than I were that actually owned their own homes because it's hard, right? You're there for three years, right? Buy a home and then you got to pack it up, sell it in three years. So a lot of people rent, um, people rely on on on-base housing. So these, these worldly lessons that you're supposed to be learning along the way, you're kind of sheltered from it being in, in, in these positions. So, you know, understanding all these benefits took a long time. And once you got it dialed, I have a kid near me that, that he's like, I don't know how to use the GI bill. And I was like, well, I will help you. Right. <laughs> you, you feel this, like the sense to help out. And, and, mm-hmm. and so I, I think, I think you're onto something there, both of you. No, I think that'd be cool. And I, I think that, uh, I think you said it pretty well with like that safety bubble in the military that guys don't realize you won't realize it until you leave. It's, you know, we talk about the, the green weenie, if you will, while you're in, uh, the civilian world has its own one too. Yeah. And, and to me, when I got out, it, it's almost like it, like the universe was like, wait a minute, he's been in this safe little bubble. Okay. Now it's his turn. You know what I mean? And <laughs> so there's so many things that like you can't, anticipate and you know you can try and be as prepared as possible but yeah that that weird because ultimately no matter what you do in the military whether you clean it up or someone else or a higher up or your buddies it's gonna get cleaned up and it will get resolved you're not gonna go without shelter or food or a paycheck or medical no pretty much no matter what you do unless you do something real crazy but (laughs) you're you're safe and then on the outside that's the complete opposite yeah yep 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 so take us through a little bit of the artwork. Like, when did you get started in the artwork? It sounds like that's your outlet. This sounds like what you enjoy to do outside of all things Farrier and, and your normal day-to-day. But like, how did you kind of get your start into that? And what do you see through the process and how it helps you cope or unwind? Take us through that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so it's, it sounds ridiculous, but I've... I I've been drawing since I was like three years old. I remember even at five years old, I broke my wrist, had a big cast on my right hand and was just distraught. Cause I kept snapping crayons. Like I couldn't draw. It's just, it wrecked my whole world. And so I just was slightly inclined at it from the jump. And just kind of was one of those things I just stuck with and, you know, kind of made it my whole personality. But, uh, it was, you know, in high school, it was just something I did cause I, I loved it. And I was always that kid that was drawing, like I 
I would have a sketchbook on me at all times. You know, I just never wasn't drawing. Um, and then as I got into the Marine Corps, I kind of put it on pause. You know, <laughs> I remember there was one experience where I was still like I was in uh, that MOS school, like I had previously mentioned. I was just in my barracks room. And this is so funny to look, you know, think back on. But I was, I was in my barracks room and I was just drawing, right? And I was a private at the time, private PFC, so E1, E2. And I remember the, the sergeant on duty comes in and just starts, like, <laughs> destroying me because he thinks it's so... He's like, oh, you joined the Marine Corps to draw pictures? You know, and I'm like, well, no, I didn't, you know. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was weird here. And so I just kind of put it on pause. In hindsight every other PFC is probably out at the bars doing dumb things. I'm sitting in my room drawing and I'm the one in the wrong, but, um, yeah, just kind of put it on pause for a couple of years, um, would draw from time to time, but didn't really kind of used it as an outlet. Like you had mentioned, you know, when you're going through stuff, you're by yourself because you know, the, the van life thing was super cool, but it was incredibly isolating. And, you know, you kind of find that balance between, uh, being alone and loneliness and then solitude. And so I had kind of used it and I would just go sit out in town, you know, by myself and just draw. And so, um, I would kind of sell prints of my artwork while I was in, but it was never my focus. It was something I always just kind of wanted to keep as a hobby because it can be very tricky turning your hobby into a career, you know, especially with like art and things like that. And I'm sure it's the case for other things, but when you turn your hobby into a career and it's kind of like on demand and you're kind of being told what to do, it kind of takes the creative liberty and the fun out of it. So it's like, no, I just, you know, I do it for myself and it kind of helps me, you know, whatever craziness is going on in my head, I can kind of put it on paper and I, I feel a little bit better for a little bit. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. Um, and so, yeah, I did that. And then never, even when I got out, it was never really the plan. Like, Oh, I'm going to get out and go be an artist. I'm going to draw for a living. That's, I mean, it wasn't my intention, but when I got, you know, leaving the, the Marine Corps or the military and that paycheck shuts off when terminal events <laughs> yep. and, uh, you're like, Oh, Oh yeah, that was nice. I missed that. And, um, so I graduated from farrier school and I knew there'd be kind of a gap and you still, you learn a lot in farrier school, but you don't know everything. And so I was like, well, we need to do something in the meantime, but I'm moving to Oregon. There's kind of like this in between and I need a paycheck. And so that's when I kind of just started uh, with the the TikTok because I, I basically started drawing tattoos for people. And it was something I remember I had buddies all the time that would ask me to draw tattoos. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. It sounds really lame. And now I do it for a living. <laughs> I remember once I, I had a, a tattoo machine. I don't know how I acquired it, uh, but I had one in the barracks. Never really used it because I was always, I kind of like in a perfectionist sense, I was like, I don't want to mess someone up, right? I, yeah. I, you know, if that piece of crap's on their arm forever and they tell people I did it, that's that's rough. And so my buddies, they'd get drunk and they'd be like, where's the tattoo machine? I'm like, no, no. You know, and they try to fight to get into my room, like give me a tattoo. I'm like, I'm not doing it. And I think one night I like snuck out and like just dumpstered it. <laughs> I was like, we can't, I'm not doing your whole back, bud. Like that's not, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So just kind of tattoo machine. Jeremy, Jeremy wants to know. What's that? Jeremy wants to know if you have, your, have, have access to a tattoo machine by any chance. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about getting another one. <laughs> it's All definitely, right. It's definitely crossed my mind. Um, and I mean, I think that's, I think it'd be really cool if that's kind of where this whole thing evolves to, 
eventually, you know, not like it's the definitive end goal, but I definitely wouldn't be mad if drawing these tattoos turned into just kind of putting my own flash on people. But, um, that's cool. Yeah, I started drawing tattoos for people and it, it was, it's, it was kind of a hit and I was like, well, I can't say no to this. And then I kind of realized, you know, I think a lot of people try to do a lot of good things for like service members and the transition and mental health and things like that. Um, and I was like, why don't I just draw tattoos for these guys? Let's, let's listen to their stories, see what they're, you know, what they're doing, what they've experienced, you know, and I'll, I'll put it into tattoo form for them and they can go get some, some ink therapy, you know, let's take, let's do a little bit of a different take on this. That's Love actually, that. that's actually really cool. And a, a lot of people that are unfamiliar with tattoos, um, especially military tattoos, a lot of people, they tell a story or if the tattoo mm-hmm. doesn't mean anything itself, it's more where you got it and the story behind that. Um, right. You know, I got, I got a tattoo on the inside of my lip that I got in Panama. And I, I will always remember that day getting tattooed in the back of a bar for 20 bucks and realizing right. this was probably the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> And it's, it's hysterical. Every six months when I go to see the dentist, they're like, you have something terribly wrong with your mouth. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, yeah, I know. it's one time in Panama. <laughs> it's literally like, it's a journey. And there's a lot of the sparrows on the collarbone. There's, mm-hmm. you know, the pig and the chicken on the legs. There's, there's mm-hmm. so much like history uh, behind at least sailor tattoos, military tattoos. And it kind of defines a purpose. It allows them to tell a story. And I I think that that's pretty cool in in your regard that you can help people tell their story. Thank you. Yeah, no, I I think it's really cool. I I mean, I've been obsessed with, um, you know, the, the sailor Jerry tattoos and American traditional tattoos. Those, I mean, those date back about a hundred years now, you know? Um, And sailor Jerry was a tattoo artist out of Hawaii. And I kind of had, you know, and originally it was uh, sailors and Marines, you know, when they'd come into port into Hawaii, that's kind of how a lot of that started or in Virginia. Um, but I, I kind of realized I was like, you know, yeah, these tattoos, they're awesome and they're vintage. Like, I love them. I'm, I'm covered in them. But at one point when, you know, Sailor Jerry, you know, or whoever was drawing them, the technology and the weapons and the gear that they're wearing in these tattoos, that wasn't always vintage. That was the best the military had to offer at the time. And then it got the opportunity to become a vintage tattoo. You know what I mean? And so I was like, why don't we start implementing the modern stuff we're using, which to us right now seems like super flashy and high speed. But in a hundred years from now, you're going to be like, they wore bump helmets. That's ridiculous. Why would you wear that? You know what I mean? And so kind of implementing, you know, modern technology and gear into American traditional style so that, our equipment, the stuff we use gets its opportunity to be vintage and timeless. I'm really glad that, you know, the military has loosened its regulations on tattooing. It was for a while there, like they couldn't be seen. Um, they were heavily regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously there, there are people that are affiliated with certain organizations that mm-hmm. you know, watch out for certain tattoos, but on the flip side, like it was kind of disheartening because you know, being a sailor, being a Marine early on, that was a way that they identified each other, that they're, you know, associated with each other. And then there was this period in history that the military wanted to wipe it out for uniform Mm -hmm. um, purposes. And now they've loosened it. I know the Coast Guard, the Marine Corps, uh, the Navy have kind of uh, definitely gone to allowing them to be seen uh, in dress uniforms, which is pretty Mm -hmm. cool. Hand tattoos are 
are somewhat allowed uh, ring yeah. and, and what have you, but it's definitely an interesting culture. Interesting. Uh, it's, it's a great piece of history. Oh, absolutely. No. And you, you said it pretty well there. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a, there's a documentary that I'll watch on occasion about, you know, kind of the early years of traditional tattooing, but you know, with service members all wearing the exact same clothes, the exact same haircut, they all look the same. They eat the same thing. They live in the same places. They used these tattoos as a way to be like, no, I'm different. You know, like this is, this is me. This is how I express myself, you know, and it kind of, you know, broke up a bit of the uniformity. Uh, I think it's super cool and super traditional, but yeah, like you said, yeah, the, they wanted that uniformity back. Um, and it was funny enough. So I, I have tattoos. Uh, I want more, but I had maxed my arms out while I was in And at the time, the Marine Corps rules like had to be two inches above the elbow uh, one inch below, if there's anything on your forearm, you can only have one. It has to be able to be covered by a knife hand, which is just your hands with your fingers straight and fully extended. Um, so you can only have like one each forearm. And so when I had decided to get out, I started, I was like, well, you know, screw it. I'm going to start getting tattoos, which I could still get in trouble for, but I remember having to hide it. And I tried to wear like hoodies to cover my arms. And then about two weeks after I get out, the Marine Corps puts out a more admin. It's like, you guys are allowed to have full sleeves. I'm like, you <laughs> SOBs. Are you serious? I want to re-enlisted. Yeah, I'm coming back. <laughs> I'm coming back. <laughs> no. So yeah, no, and that's and that's cool. And so um, and I, I'm stoked for them. And hopefully, you know, maybe that tradition kind of comes back because there's a lot of different styles nowadays, and that's really awesome. But I'm I'm pretty ride or die by the traditional stuff. And so I think it'd be kind of cool to start implementing you know, that modern gear and equipment into those tattoos. And I DM people all the time that kind of reach out for commissions and whatnot. And we kind of talk about their story and whatnot. I think it's kind of cool rather than, you know, just kind of doing the round circle. Let's all talk about our feelings, which is great and needs to happen more. Let's yeah. talk about it. But at the end of it, here's a tattoo that kind of reflects what you just told me and then take it to the tattoo parlor, you know, cause I've definitely gotten some tattoos when I was feeling crappy you know like hey, let's just go to the tattoo bar this will make me feel better yep yep no so so uh, this has been incredible this is i mean we're gonna have to do a couple more of these unpack all this stuff but you were just alluding to it a little bit but we always like to share for our listeners and for our guests what's going to really one as a thank you to you for coming on and taking the time to share your story but what's the best place anything you want to plug what are the best places for people to find you obviously you're on tiktok and instagram but if folks want to one reach out to you and just chat with you and hear more about your story to uh, maybe find a way to work with you on some of the work whether it's on the farrier side of the business or the tattoo side of the business what are the best ways to find jeff Britton and in, in where and how yeah absolutely so i'm on uh predominantly TikTok and Instagram on TikTok. It's at art for the wanderer, all one word, no symbols on Instagram. It's still at art for the wanderer, but there's a period between each word art yeah. dot four dot, you know, all that. Um, and then, you know, if you want to reach out for commissions, I'd say, you know, or anything at all, to be honest with you, Instagram DMS is the best place. Cause I mean, a lot of the times as I'm going through it, I'm like, okay, let's kind of take on some commissions today. You know, I, I'm reading DMS and people are kind of, telling me about, you know, how they relate to this or something I said. And we just kind of have full-blown conversations because I definitely have times where I can feel like, oh, I'm probably the only one that feels like this. And that's, that's just not true. And so I'll just, you know, regardless of commissions or tattoos, I definitely try to do my best to respond to people and tell, I'm like, I, I'm just open. I'm like, I'm doing the same thing 
you guys are doing and going through the same thing. This is how I'm doing it. And I tell them, I'm like, I can't even say that this is what works best for me because I don't know. I'm just kind of figuring it out as I go. But yeah, so TikTok, Instagram, and then I uh, I also do uh, Patreon as well, where there's extra content. I put all of my flash designs up there. So if anyone's like, you know, do I have permission to use this? You guys can use it regardless, screenshot it. But I do put them all on uh, Patreon where people can screenshot them without watermarks, things like that. Um, and there's definitely more of an open conversation and dialogue on Patreon and those platforms to it's, it's more than just tattoos. I'm just, just here to talk and here to help. Awesome. 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 Well, Jeff, thank you for coming on. Um, this was, you know, obviously completely relatable in, in my, in my world, but, you know, I hope somebody listening can relate as well. Um, super informative and thanks for being on. No, thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. This has been awesome. And remember to use code ART10 at checkout for orders of $60 or more at bruntworkwear.com. 